You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh. When Gerard Carmichael's latest comedy special, Rathaniel, came out, so did he. In this special episode, our friends at Pop Culture Happy Hour talk about how Gerard used the format of a comedy special to create something unique and heartfelt, and their hopes that it will open doors for more kinds of Black queer stories. Enjoy. To comedy nerds, Gerard Carmichael has been that guy for some time now. He's a stand-up comic with an acerbic brand of observational humor and started his own family sitcom, the criminally underseen The Carmichael Show. And now his recent HBO special, Rathaniel, has made headlines. Carmichael comes out publicly as gay for the first time, but it's also about so much more than that. And it's a profoundly immersive experience that pushes the boundaries of stand-up and confessional art. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about Gerard Carmichael on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today are co-hosts of the podcast Fanti, journalist Travel Anderson and journalist, writer, and producer Jarrett Hill. Welcome back, Travel and Jarrett. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Very excited to get into this all with you both. Now, Rothaniel is Gerard Carmichael's third HBO stand-up special, though technically the comedian is seated on stage for the entirety of the performance. That's one of many ways he breaks from the norm in comedic storytelling. Over the course of an hour, Carmichael talks candidly about secrets that have haunted his family for multiple generations. If you knew them, you'd know keeping a secret is the only way to honor them. Like, that's kind of (laughs) who they were. He talks about the rampant cheating and procreating done by his father and grandfathers and how he helped keep his dad's extramarital activities hidden from his mother. He also reveals he's gay, something he'd only hinted at very briefly in his 2019 HBO documentary, Home Videos. The result is an intimate show that's part performance art, part therapy session in the best ways possible. I want to accept that. You know, it feels like I didn't earn it. It was filmed in February of this year at the Blue Note Jazz Club in New York City and directed by Bo Burnham, which actually, when I saw that, I realized, oh, that makes a lot of sense. They have (laughs) very similar kind of views and approaches to their comedy that I find really, really fascinating. So, Travel, let's start with you. What do you think of Rathaniel and Gerard Carmichael and what he's doing here? You know... This was a moment for me, okay? I had seen the reporting right before the special even came out. There were stories that he comes out in the special. And so, you know, that automatically makes it something that I need to watch, right? As a purveyor of, you know, Black queer storytelling and whatnot. (laughs) But sitting down and watching it, it was really an experience that I was not expecting because of how vulnerable he is, because of how specifically Black I find his form of joke telling and his form of storytelling to be. Mm. You know how, like, Black people, when we tell stories, it's Get just, ready. like, automatically. Aisha, take a <laughs> breath and please strap in because that, that, that just made me nervous. No. What, I, what I'm saying is that, you know, I feel like with Black people— We can be telling the most traumatic story ever, and we always find ways to inject comedy into it. 
That's just mm-hmm. like how we have survived, right? As a people, we can always find a way to make something funny. And I think he does that so beautifully in this special because he's not really telling jokes. He's really just like sharing these different revelations and experiences that he has. But the way that he's doing it paired with the responses from the audience, it makes it a deeply comedic experience as well. And I just thought it was so wonderful. I tweeted after watching it that it's like Nanette for Black people. Mm. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad you mentioned Nanette because I... That also kind of came to mind as I was processing it after the fact. And Annette, if you don't remember, that was Hannah Gadsby's Netflix special. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more sort of rage within Hannah Gadsby's Mm -hmm. special. Whereas here with Gerard, there isn't that rage. It's more like disappointment and Mm -hmm. sadness and sort of a melancholy that I think even his more straightforward comedy shows have so much darkness and (laughs) and melancholy in a way that I've always gravitated toward in this sort of self-deprecating way. In the same way that people talked about Nanette, I feel like we're talking about this, but I definitely had that sort of similar thought about what Hannah Gatsby was doing there and what Gerard is doing here. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. Jarrett, How about you? First of all, I don't even think I was 10 minutes in. I was probably like nine and a half minutes in. I paused it and I tweeted something about this feels special, right? Like this is already my favorite thing of the year and we're not 10 minutes into it. I remember just feeling like it was a special moment that like this is a thing that is happening that like at the very least black queer people are always going to remember this, Right, mm-hmm. this moment, or texting about it because by the end of the hour, I called Travel and we talked about it for God knows how long, right? And then we ended up doing a segment on our show about it. It was definitely something that I felt like just spoke in so many different ways that I wasn't expecting. And it touched on so many different things that are a part of our experiences as Black folks, as queer folks, as millennials, as single. You know what I mean? Like, it touched on so many different things, but all in the context of this Black queer man that we are just learning is queer, or, you know, many folks are just learning is queer. It just felt like a special moment that was, like, really rooted in, like, his vulnerability and his comedy and, like, the special thing that Drew Carmichael has. Yeah. Even with his name being spelled wrong as a Jarrett, um, it just... <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I, I have respect for Rothaniel, yeah. <laughs> oh, Rathaniel. So Rathaniel is actually one of the things, the many kind of reveals that he makes throughout this special. And Rathaniel is his real name, apparently, or his given first name, mm-hmm. <laughs> which the way he describes it is just such a, again, another thing that is such a Black people thing where it's like your parents are trying to do something that apparently <laughs> honors other people in the family. But of course, their way of doing that is combining names in a way. Like, yes. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> Ooh, why why would you set me up for this as a kid? Right. Parents like <laughs> he combined his dad's first name and my mom's dad's first name. Not to make something elegant <laughs> like, you know, William Edward or something like that. It's more like Toyotathon. <laughs> Coming up, more on how Gerard Carmichael did something new by airing his dirty laundry. Stick around. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. 
When you plan your celebration of life in advance, it becomes a gift from you to your family. Because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. With Dignity Memorial Providers, you can pre-plan every detail to give your family and yourself valuable peace of mind, knowing that everything will be taken care of with professionalism, compassion, and attention to detail that is second to none. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. What I really appreciated about it is not just his coming out, but also the way in which he doesn't hold back with his family. And that's something that a lot of people, especially Black people, though, Mm -hmm. are afraid to do publicly Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like airing your dirty laundry and talking about the secrets that they have kept and the way in which you can see how those secrets have eaten away at him. He's just so vulnerable. He's sitting and sometimes he'll like rub his hand across his chest or his neck in a way that's like, I'm still working through this. Or he'll like put his arm behind his head. Like we're watching a performance that obviously he's planned out in certain ways, but in other ways, it's just like so free flowing and natural because he is telling the story to people for the first time. And there's a difference between telling maybe one or two people and actually having it be a performance. And I just thought it was just such a, I still don't quite have the words for it, even though I've written about it and I've thought about it a lot and I've talked about it with other people. I'm trying to think of anything that I've had a similar reaction to that I've felt, even though I wasn't in the room, I still felt as though he was letting us in, like he was finally trusting himself and then trusting other people that we will receive him in the way that he hopes or needs to be received. And so seeing all of that compounded with him, letting all of that out about what his family has has gone through and also the way his parents have not <laughs> quite accepted him. Well, I hate the word acceptance because like that's not what we should be aiming for. Like you should mm-hmm. be embracing, you should be loving. But like the fact that his mom, who he has defended and clearly loves so much, like that is a main component of home videos, that 2019 documentary, where he is talking to his mom and trying to be honest with her. And he asked her questions like, do you think you're beautiful? Because as a dark-skinned Black woman, he said she didn't always feel that way or he got the sense that she didn't feel that way. And to know that her, his mom is just like, God goes against this or like, I can't fully process the fact that you are gay. And the way he talks about it, like, I know both of you have experiences with religion in your family. I am a little bit less so, but I'm curious about how he talks about that from religious sense, because that is, it's not just about being Black and queer. It's also Mm -hmm. about how religion plays into that so firmly. So I'll say that was probably what was the most relatable for me. I came out when I was 19 to my mom, specifically. I I came out to my dad a year later out of spite, different conversation. Um, (laughs) But I had written my mom like this long letter. I, I gave it to her one night or I put it on her door. And like the next morning she came out and saw it and it changed our relationship forever. It was something that I had the first inkling of when I was six years old that I didn't understand what it was until I was 10. And then I was in denial about it until I was 19, right? And so... To then say that out loud, it changed the dynamic of our relationship so much because I have grown up Christian, I am Christian, and like it was a big part of why I hadn't come out, but it was also a big part of why it was so difficult for me to like process because the things that my family was saying to me, I was also saying to myself, right? Mm -hmm. And so to hear Gerard talk about it and hear her say, like, I just can't go against God, it's like I've had that conversation over the course of years many times, 
right? Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. It's heartbreaking. It's confusing. It's challenging. And as a person now who is like, re-embraced faith and having like a different perspective on it now. And like the way that that permeates our families, right? The way that Gerard opens is talking about secrets and like the secrets that we keep from our family members. And like the reason that it's so crazy to be able to talk about this in public is like, we don't even really talk about it in private, right? Mm -hmm. And so whether we're talking about our queerness or being able to come out and be seen and feel embraced or being able to just live freely within our own families, let alone in public, it resonated for me in a lot of different ways. Yeah, he said something to the effect of he wishes like his mom would give him any sort of response. Yeah. Even hate. Even hate starts to feel like love because... That's acknowledgement. I thought that was deeply resonant for me and my experience as well. I grew up the grandchild of a pastor, right? So we was in the church deep, honey. And this idea of not being able to go against God is something that my entire family, right, is still grappling with. And yet, one of the things I love about the special is based on that audience, right, responding to him, applauding to him, accepting, quote unquote, him in that way, showing that type of love, it ends up being some sort of of an antidote to the lack of acknowledgement, the lack of acceptance that his family is going through, dealing with, experiencing, because it is a journey, right, with our family members. And While many of us do have families that, like, openly accept us and, you know, put their hands around us from the moment that we come out, some of us don't have that. And it's more of a journey. But I also want to note that I feel like even though it's super specific, I also feel like it's super universal as well. Anyone who has felt marginalized, who has felt like they've had to hide parts of their selves or their identities, I feel like you can also resonate with this special as well. Absolutely. Anyone who's who's ever had a family, right? Anyone who's ever <laughs> dealt with people yeah. in their life that have done challenging things that they don't know how to process. Yeah. Yeah. I want to sort of talk about the aspect of his father and his grandparents mm-hmm. because there is a lot of discussion. He talked about it in his previous specials a little bit before where, you know, the men in his family, many of them have multiple families Mm -hmm. (laughs) that their significant others did not know about. And there are stereotypes about Black men, especially in Black masculinity when it comes to being absentee fathers or fathering many children and, and not being there for those children. And in a way, I think that there's a way that some people might see this as you are contributing to these stereotypes, even though this is his truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what you think about how it sort of plays into or doesn't play into those stereotypes. I think it plays against them. I think because it's so specific, he's not cracking very broad jokes. This isn't, you know, the Chris Rock, you know, mm-hmm. black people and versus the N-word. It's not like that sketch. But I, I can see critiques about why this could be a little bit I don't know, problematic. I haven't seen those critiques, but I'm curious if if people are talking about or if you've heard or seen any of those sorts of critiques when it comes to this. Well, speaking first of the the stereotypes of like black men and fatherhood, right? Like it's one of those stereotypes that frustrates me because one, we've heard it for so long and like we've seen like all of these different instances, but then we like know data that shows that like black fathers tend to participate in their children's lives more than, you know, our counterparts in other races. And then like we see a story like this. And I think that oftentimes for black folks, the question then becomes like, oh, does this set us back? Sometimes 
as a marginalized group, everything needs to be representative in a positive way. But I thought that Gerard sharing his story about his family and being so open and honest about it really created space for other people to be able to do the same thing. Um, And I think that that's much more valuable than this idea of like who we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to move. I imagine there are families that probably watched this together and ended up having to have some conversations about some things that happened in their households within a few days. Right. Mm. Or things that came up for them that they, you know, are still sitting with and trying to figure out how to talk about and may not talk about until Thanksgiving or whatever it is. Even as we look at like the themes of the special that are difficult, I think that there's so much more value and work that comes out of it that is done that anything that, you know, might have been a knock for someone to deal with, like, I think it's much more positive in the end. I think we as Black folks, we're always worried about airing out our dirty laundry. And there are some of us, I am one of them, whose dad was not present. Now, he's back in the life. He, you know, made a whole circle and came back. But that is the truth of Gerard's experience. It's the truth of my experience. And I think when we get caught up thinking about dirty laundry and hiding and keeping and maintaining these secrets, it really doesn't allow any of us to get free. It doesn't allow us to be our fully unfolded selves, right? As Akweke Yamezi says, it always forces us to continue hiding, right? And I think that's one of the things that I love so much about the special is that everybody came to that taping thinking they were going to get a certain type of show. We're familiar enough with Gerard and what he's done. And Gerard kind of unsettles and unseats that idea from the beginning, right, even in terms of how Bo Burnham directs the special for those of us who are watching at home, everything is different or against type. And even the fact that we hear the audience asking questions, like follow-up questions. We hear the Black woman who's like, wow, when, <laughs> when he, he notes that he has dated a white guy, right? Yeah. Oh, you date white boys? Really? Is that a shock? Surprise, surprise. No more secrets. I'm going to tell y'all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. What? <laughs> she feels... You, you heard her say, wow? That's the sound of a Black woman that feels doubly betrayed. That calls on for me that, like, you know, deeply Black call and response type of thing that we Mm -hmm. do. But also, the point that he makes about how once he says that he's gay, how the Yankee fittits in the room are like, wow, we had a gay show now, bro? Yeah. That is a super salient observation, right, about the specificity of our experiences as Black folks. And I think it's necessary for us to tease out those particular things in order for us all, when we're thinking more broadly about the these social justice movements, these Black Lives Matter efforts, these efforts to get people to be anti-racist and whatnot, it means that we as a community also have to, you know, do some work. We have to air out some of that laundry so that we can get the mold up out of mm-hmm. there, you know? Yeah. Up next, the impact of Rathaniel on the culture. Stick around. I loved that call and response aspect. By the time that starts, and it doesn't last the entire show, but it, it happens a few times mm-hmm. from different people, including men and women, mm-hmm. people who sound like men and women, I don't want to assume. But it happens at a point where it's clear that because he's 
been so vulnerable up to that point, people feel comfortable enough to just be there and ask those questions. And the way he just rolls with it, you see him take it in and think about it and process it for mm-hmm. a few seconds. And then he answers and in ways that just feel as though you're sitting there having a conversation with just him. And it's both like really joyful and also kind of heartbreaking in a way. And I've loved pretty much everything he's done up to this point. But this feels like a moment and I it makes me really excited to see where he goes next. And yeah. after seeing this, what do you want out of not just Gerard, but also like out of stand-up comedy or like this world? Like, does this open up a new world of possibility for you? I think so. I hope that it means that some person out there who happens to be Black and queer, you know, feels emboldened, right, to tell their story and to tell it in the way that makes sense to them. I think an important thing to note is Gerard Carmichael is, even though he may not be a household name, he is someone who has some sort of cachet in the industry, right? right? He has some sort of influence now being, you know, openly identified as a gay man. Maybe that will open up more opportunities, right, in the industry for other folks. Too soon to tell, but I do think that that's like an ideal hope that comes out of this situation. I'm a writer, producer, journalist, right? And one of the things I've been doing has been developing a pilot around my life. I've been asked to write this story about my Black gay experience, but they really want me to do this story that is like four friends, Black, queer, sex in the city, right? And it's like, one, that show's already existed. Um, It was called (laughs) Noah's Ark. Shout out to Patrick Ian Polk and the cast there. Period. (laughs) An iconic show. I came back and said, you know, actually really what I'm interested in doing is something a little bit more specific that is, you know, more about my family and my, you know, the specifics of like what it's been like being me. And the feedback was like, you know, okay, (laughs) let's see, you know, and for something like Rothaniel to come out to have so much nuance and to have so much story and to have so many different characters that have different layers, but to be centered around this Black queer man, I'm excited that it opens up a space for me to be able to go back and say, like, do you see what we did here? The way that this spoke to people and the way that this landed in culture? Like, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that there will be more people who will be able to say, like, but did you see Rothaniel? And I don't just mean Black queer people, right? I think that there's a queer Asian woman somewhere who wants to be able to talk about, you know, her experience. And I think there's probably a, a Native queer person somewhere or a native straight person who's like, you know, there's this idea that I'm supposed to be this thing and you want this kind of personality from me. We're wanted for our marginalization because that's what's interesting about us. But it's like, no, no, no. But I also have some really other interesting things that I can talk about or I have other interesting perspective that I can bring to this conversation aside from being queer that might be informed by being queer or by being Black or by being whatever. As we think about what comes after this, I'm excited to see how many things can use this as a reference to say, like, look at what else is possible. Yeah. I second both of those thoughts. And I also hope that it allows more queer people to be, or or anyone who has something that they feel like they aren't comfortable sharing with other people, it makes them feel comfortable to do so on their own terms. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was able to do it on his own terms in a way that felt not as though he, you know, was trying to capitalize off of it in any way or like 
this is my moment. Like <laughs> this felt very much like this is what something I need to do for myself. Yeah. I love being able to see that and process that. And I hope that we're able to see more of that. I need to watch it again. It's one of those things like Jerry, you felt this was one of the best things of the year. I, I agree. Like this is going to be going to be in my top 10, whatever at the end of this year, because it's just that good and yeah. you have to experience it. It's a totally different experience. Can I make just one note? Yes. He does use some ableist language. He uses the R word that I thought we stopped using back in 2007. Oh, right. Yes. And, yes. you know, it startled me really quickly when I heard it. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to note that. But the special really is something special in spite of that. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. Those of you, if you haven't seen it, you've been warned. So you you can at least like know it's coming. Overall, I think we're all very happy with what we've seen and what hopefully is to come for Gerard Carmichael and for queer people and Black people as well. And that brings us to the end of our show. Travel Anderson, Jarrett Hill, thanks to you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Big thanks again to Aisha Harris, Travel Anderson, and Jarrett Hill. Rathaniel is now out on HBO Max. All right, this week's episode was produced by Barton Girdwood, Andrea Gutierrez, Liam McBain, Chloe Weiner, Janet Ujung Lee, and Asia Drain. Our editor is Tamar Charney. Our director of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grunman. So until next time, be good to yourselves. I'm Elise Hugh. We'll talk soon.